Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Falzon, your political optometrist, and Ruben Torres, the global adventurer. And we're here with a special episode of Students for a Better Future. Ruben, you want to say something, buddy? Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for you to put on the, uh, the theme song. Oh, I don't know. There's all these theme songs on the side. I don't know which ones they are. So I'm going to forego the musical accompaniment, okay? <laughs> well, and we'll get yes, right down uh, to brass tacks. Definitely. Our guest for tonight is going to be Mr. Jose Sanchez, who's a professor, who's a professor at Long Island University. And uh, we should be hearing from Mr. Sanchez in, in a couple of minutes. Uh, this is the first. Oh, here he is. I believe today. this is him. Hold on. I believe he just called in, Ruben. All right. This is uh, uh, Sanchez. Hello. You're on the air, sir. Mr. Thank Sanchez. You. Mr. Sanchez, how are you? Hi, Mr. Torres. <laughs> uh, my uh, my. Uh, Co-host uh, Mr. Falcone is here, so we're we're, we're looking forward to uh, our interview tonight. Um, apologize for last week, um, no problem. But I'm I'm glad that that you were able to come on tonight because uh, it's fantastic to have such a uh, exciting individual like yourself uh, come on our program. It's an honor, and uh, I appreciate you um, taking the time to come on. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> oh, wait a second. This, this this show does not pursue alternate lifestyles, sir. No, I'm kidding. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, basically, I, I just gave you, gave you a little brief uh, introduction, but if you can let our audience uh, know more about what you have done and, 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 and your, uh, your impressive uh, resume that you have, well, I don't know if it's that impressive, but, uh, you know, I, I certainly spent a lifetime trying to do what I can to improve uh, the lives of Latinos and others in the society and trying to advance democracy. And in the classroom, trying to help my students understand the world and prepare for their place in the world, something that's become a lot more uncertain and problematic for many people. Fantastic. I mean, I, I, I definitely enjoyed the articles, uh, Where's the Love and How Latinos uh, Lose and Gain Their Power. Mm-hmm. Can we briefly touch on Where's the Love? I mean, that 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 was very, it caught my attention the first time I read uh, your article and how Latinos uh, lose, gain their, uh, lose and gain their power. Can we briefly touch on Where's the Love? Where did that come from? <laughs> well, it, 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 yeah, that comes from uh, my long-standing theoretical argument that in too many cases when people talk about power, they talk about the outcomes of power rather than the process through which people become powerful or lose power. And they end up focusing on things like money, the number of people, the number of votes, the number of elected officials, and all those things that are very easy to quantify, not realizing that money, people, uh, even weapons, is often not enough to actually create power. 
one example, um, terrorists. There aren't really that many in the world, maybe 30,000 in actuality, something that the uh, terrorist um, think tanks have said many, many times. And yet 30,000 people have been able to frighten and cause nations and national leaders to go bend over backwards to figure out ways of trying to deal with this threat. And the actual number of people that they kill is really relatively small compared to all the other people that are killed, even in this society. So when we talk about numbers and power, you have to look at something deeper. What I try to do is look at what I consider to be the best model for understanding where power comes from. Right. And that has to do with something a lot more dynamic, right? And, you know, having been a parent, and I still am a parent, you know, that hasn't changed, I... <laughs> Raise my children. I even spend time three years raising my, my oldest uh, daughter. And one of the things I got to learn very quickly is that babies who are creatures, when they're born, who can't walk, can't talk for themselves, can't ask for anything, are some of the most powerful creatures on earth. Because right. my firstborn had colic, and I would spend practically every night for the first, I'd say, 12 months of her life, staying up, trying to keep her quiet, even though I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning to get to work. Yeah? Oh, gosh. And, I had five children. I, I can sympathize with you, sir. <laughs> and the thing about it is that if you simply look at the facts in terms of what she had to utilize to get me to do things, you really couldn't point to anything except for the fact I love her to death. She was right. my baby, and I wanted to protect her. So even without her having consciousness or knowledge of what she was able to cause me to do, she's the only creature at that moment, probably still is, who, who was capable of getting me to stay up to the middle of the night and change her dirty diapers. I wouldn't do that for hardly anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so it became clear to me that people didn't really understand where power comes from. It doesn't come from the things that you have. It comes from whether or not people want what you have, desire what you have, need what you have. And in this case, I wanted my baby to be as comfortable as possible. And because of that, she had power over me. And, you know, and all of us have been at some point in time um, in love with other people, right? And yeah. as men, we're often very cautious about using those three words in a sentence, I love you. Why are men so cautious about using those words? Can I ask because you? some women go off the uh, deep end when you say that. Yeah, when you say <laughs> those three, those three, three you words. You have to be careful with that. You have to yes, be careful with exactly. that. Exactly. I know, me, I'm, I'm an old New York City Romeo. You've got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you say those three words is that you are literally and figuratively giving someone else your heart, right? They could take that heart and treat it like a baby. You know, comfort it, nourish it, give it attention, give it love back. Or they can take that heart, throw it on the floor and stomp on it, right? So we're always afraid to utter those words because we know the consequences, right? That we are basically giving people a lot of power over us when we utter those words, right? So again, it has yes. to do with us. We give power to others by the extent to which we need, want, and desire something that they have, something about right. them. Right? And so that's been well, the model that I've been using for a long time to analyze a lot of different things. 
And when you look at Latino population, people point to the numbers of Latinos. Oh, demographics are getting pretty amazing. You know, so many Latinos are now majority in these cities or these states or whatever, you know? And I'm saying, so what? What does that have to do with anything? If what Latinos represent is something that this society wants or needs or desires, look at Trump, right? He's really passed out at least 11 or 12 million Latinos out of this country simply because it makes his constituents happy, right? He's not no, well, it's not just Latinos. It's not just Latinos because no, 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 of course. A, a, a large percent of the illegal immigrants are people who stayed over with visas. And those necessarily, uh, from what I've been reading, I think a large percentage of those are non-Latin Americans, you know, coming from other, you know, student visas from the Middle East, student visas from Europe, work visas, et cetera, et cetera. And those people stay over. So, well, the majority, and so the majority. I, I wouldn't say that about Trump, that he's like demonizing just Mexicans on the illegal issue, because it's just illegals, period, regardless of their point of origin. But I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, sir. No, no, no problem. You know, it's, the majority are Latinos. That's, that's, you know, that's the reality. Yes, there are many others, but the majority are Latinos. And it doesn't matter because the people that he is rousing up in anger are people who think that they're all Latinos, right? not just Mexicans, but also in Central America, right? In fact, there's a large percentage of people who come from Canada who come into this country without any visa whatsoever and right, stay right. here and become, you know, even very very advanced in their profession, become newscasters, become reporters, become doctors and whatever, right? And they continue to live here. No one points to, to that. No one talks about putting a wall up between us and Canada, right? <laughs> between us and well, Mexico. Well, that board is too long. That board is too long, sir. <laughs> well, so is the so is the border but, of Mexico, but, but that's let, 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 Let's try. We'll, we'll get into the politics. You know, uh, I have uh, the way I, I I interview. I have a strategy and way. Uh, let's let's stick to your articles you know, that you publish. Okay. Uh, and we'll, we'll 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 touch on the politics because that's that's the hot, that's the uh, the spicy uh, uh, conversation that we'll have. Um, but I want to focus on for initially on the articles because I found them to be really a, very appealing and uh, and reading them, and that's the reason I invited you uh, on the program. Mm-hmm. Then, mm-hmm. We, then we can touch on the Trump and 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 you know Obama supporting the most people in, in the last seven years. But we'll, let's focus on your articles first. Sure. So, what, one what of the questions, questions that I have for you yeah. is in regards to. I, I don't say Latinos, and, and I started saying, I, I usually say Hispanic. Um, but Hispanics in general today, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mr. Sanchez, Professor Sanchez, do you see that there's been uh, an ever-increasing amount of Latinos really understanding who they are and believing in themselves and loving themselves? Because uh, I, see, I see a lot, uh, and, and I... Lived all my life in New York City and New Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I sense that there's there's something of of, of lack of self esteem, lack of love uh, within our communities. Uh, and did you see that? Do you see that also? Well, I don't know if that's been quantified, but certainly that exists in every community. That you know there are people who don't know who they are. There are people who don't have roots. There are people 
who are searching, there are people who are confused, there are people who have abandoned, you know, it happens in every community, you know. We're not really Hispanic or Latino, you know. I don't, I don't like the word Hispanic because that includes people from Spain. Uh, Latino is a term that represents uh, the fact that we're talking about uh, a population of people that basically come from the Caribbean and Latin America. But in any case, yeah, Western uh, Hemisphere, yeah. Yeah, in any case, you know, Latinos is, is something that is something that uh, the government and media has used, and so have some Latino groups as a right. way of providing some sort of coherence to an identity that hasn't fully arrived yet. Because I think, you know, when you talk about the first and second generation of Latinos who've come into this country, most of them think of themselves as Bolivians, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, uh, Salvadorians, uh, you know, Costa Ricans, uh, Peruvians, and what have you. And then when they find themselves in the U.S., there's a wholly different cultural and political dynamic, and they begin to see the need and the responsibility to try to form alliances with people who they often live next to and with. Right. It doesn't come easy because we don't have the kind of um, center that African-Americans have because African-Americans have a cultural and political center in the form of leadership that comes from their churches and that comes from their political leadership. We have nobody at the national level who can speak for whether they do so well or badly for Latinos. We don't have... Very good point, sir. Very good yeah. point because from the, you know, looking out from the non-Hispanic or Latino perspective, I see characters like Guterres that he... Mm-hmm. Is is an absolutely revolting individual, and if I were Latino, I would want well someone else being a mind spokesman other than uh, someone like that. Go ahead, yeah. gentlemen. Let, let, yeah, let's let's not again. Let's try and keep it within. Uh, we'll bring in the political later on the program. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, so, I no, well, you know what, Ruben, I, I, I have to clarify. I wasn't talking about the political. I was bringing in the criminal when I mentioned that fellow's name. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I was going along with the theme of the conversation. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Are uh, you talking but, about but, Congressman Gutierrez from, from Chicago? Yes, the Marxist, yes. Oh, Gutierrez, okay, because you said something else. It didn't sound like him, so I wasn't sure what yeah. you meant. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, but, my but, yeah. Spanish I, accent was poor. I <laughs> okay. <laughs> Professor, Professor Sanchez, I, yeah. I, I did want to mention. I did want to mention. You brought up something. You said you know most most uh, Latinos associate themselves with uh, Latino because Hispanic is something uh, uh, from Spain. Well, we there's a lot of a, a lot a lot of of us. That our ancestors are from Spain. Sure, uh, but uh, we're talking I have, about the I, I, I personally have in me from southern Spain, so mm-hmm. I, I, as proud as I am of being, you know, my mother being from Colombia, I'm also I'm not going to deny uh, Spanish uh, Spain. I mean, because what I meant by that is that Hispanic refers to the speaking of Spanish. Right. Whereas Latino refers to coming from a continent, right? Mm-hmm. So that if you use the word Hispanic, then that leaves out Brazilians, for instance, right? But if you use the word Latino, that includes everyone from the Caribbean and Latin America, no matter what their ancestry or racial background might be, right? Right. 
So it wouldn't leave out you or anybody else, but simply making it clear because when people, sometimes even some people call Latino Spanish, right? Which is like calling Americans English. You're, you're correct. Sense, right? that, that, is, that, that is true. That is true. I think so, uh, you know, I want to make it very clear that when we use an identity, it has to refer to a real population of people, not something that is, um, in a sense, uh, a bludgeon, you know, used to describe something that doesn't exist. You know, you can't call Latino Spanish or Hispanic because it's not just simply talking about a language here. We're talking about a history and a culture and a regional uh, geographic location for people, you know. I, I concur with your assessment. That 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 is true. Now, one of the things that really, really, uh, and, and the reason I brought up the thing about uh, a lot of Latinos and Hispanics uh, having lack of self-esteem, low self-esteem, I noticed when Pope Pope uh, Pope Francis was elected, yeah. and I heard so many Hispanics and 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 especially Hispanics that were maybe they felt that. Pope Francis was not really Hispanic or Latino because he was from Argentina, right. and, and I would I would hear this commentaries from well he's not he doesn't look like us, mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't you know I can't relate to him, and that's mm-hmm. that's the reason that's the reason I wanted you on the program because that you you are you know you're a professor you 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 uh, LIU <laughs> city. Uh, and, and you may have a better understanding. Why is that happening? Why would you say that just because Pope Francis may not have the same skin color, but he's he's still Latino? He's South American. He's 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 from Argentina. Yeah, I mean, part of part of it is I think there is a cultural and also a racial component to this, right? Um, there has always been for a long time this kind of Argentinian chauvinism that they've. You know, many people perceive that Argentinians feel that they're better than Latinos from other countries. That somehow right. they're more cultured. Uh, they have, uh, they used to have a better economy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They're bigger, et cetera. So all these things, right? So th- th- there's that perception that Argentinians are somehow aloof and elitist, right? Uh, on the other hand, there's also a perception which probably you could argue is fairly accurate about so many Latin American countries. That is that the people who rule in most of these countries, both in terms of the economy and the politics, tend to be the more European looking. So that you are correct. You are correct. The more more African and native looking people don't usually uh, rise to those levels, right? So that's something that people have begun to recognize recently. That is that you know there needs to be also a recognition that Latin America has to accept the fact that it doesn't do a very good job of integrating any more than America does all of its levels. You know? you're, so, you're absolutely you know, correct. Uh, I, I have traveled throughout South America uh, from from Chile to Uruguay to Colombia to Venezuela, and, 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 and there, is, there is a large European and, and individuals that are in power and people who, have, who control the, the monetary system are of European descent, except except for Venezuela, which basically uh, the last 12 years has been controlled by Chavez, who passed away, and now uh, Mr. Maduro. Maduro. 
Mm-hmm. But but you're correct. Bolivia is another. It's one of the very few countries that's led by right. Morales, who's indigenous. Uh, but I would say that in, uh, in Ecuador with Korea, um, but every other place, it does. You're you're correct. Uh, the Europeans are at the top, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 in South America, basically, it's it's well known that. Um, there's there's the white, black, and then mulatto, mm-hmm. the mix, and and basically, it it, it is like in Colombia now there there is basically they're called Afro Colombians and and they have mm-hmm. they're pushing and they have acquired a little bit more power than they did twenty or thirty years ago, so there yeah, is I mean, there, there is yeah. improvement. In South America, in Latin America, but yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, the top is controlled by uh, people of European descent. Um, yeah, that's one component of why people reacted to Pope Francis that way. The other one is that when Latinos come here, you know, Latinos in Latin America basically don't have the stark, uh, dualistic view of race that Americans have, where if you have one drop of any kind of uh, black or brown or, or indigenous blood in you, then you're automatically, you know, a minority, right? Latin Americans tend to have a little bit more range, you know, and it tends to be more fluid so that people, in some cases, are able to rise above their so-called racial status by becoming a professional, by becoming rich and what have you, right? People, in a sense, get whitenized, you know, become blancos, you know, by becoming economically successful. But when they get to America, conditions here are a lot different, and there tends to be a much more stark division between races. And so that brings that kind of reaction towards Pope Francis, that he, he looks like somebody who is your landlord rather than someone who's your co-worker, right? Right, right. Yeah, and that's regardless now, of the fact that he's uh, a radical leftist communist, notwithstanding... <laughs> I see. So, so you're, you 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 see him as a communist. <laughs> Many people just see him yes, as someone I do. who I, I see I, I see him as dishonest, and uh, I believe <laughs> Jesus is crying in heaven over this guy. Uh, and and I'll tell you, since um, we're talking about him, what scares me is that the other pope stepped aside for this man. What kind of muscle? What kind of power? What kind of leverage was exerted? To have this pope I, just step aside I, when we haven't had a pope just step aside in, you know, since the Stone Age, something he, like that. He didn't, he didn't step aside. And then this guy comes in, and the first thing he's doing is promoting man-made global warming, which to me is a massive fraud that's going on. I see. Uh, and it's nothing but a theft in power. <laughs> and this pope is all for it. Uh, you know, I, I was originally so happy that Argentina was picked because I thought, oh, good for the Latin American people. Let them have pride. You know, uh, South America is heavily Roman Catholic. Uh, it, it, it could be the future of the Catholic Church, the way it's behaving. So I was happy at first that this Francis was selected. But then, after listening to him, uh, you know, and then his last jab at Trump, it was, uh, and then his thing with walls. Uh, 
Uh, I'm flabbergasted by this guy. I'm disappointed in my church, and I think Jesus is crying. But go ahead, gentlemen. <laughs> well, you know, I had a, a Mr. Fowler, chime in on the Pope. I have to say that you have a very conspiratorial view of the Pope. You know, the previous Pope stepped aside, not because Pope Francis muscled his way in there, but because a report was coming out that would have implicated him in those, um, how should I put it, uh, pedophilic activities of some right. of his uh, priests. That, that really? So then, so, so okay, no, I understand what you're saying. So then so what the happened was the, the Vatican Marxists took advantage of our opportunists no, I mean, the church, and I guess they well, came to an agreement that better if he stepped aside and let a new yeah. pope take over. Yeah, but, well, we can touch that at, at a quarter to... Yeah, some other time. Nine. Yeah, well, let's just keep, keep working <laughs> on this Latino thing, because I have to tell you, you know, I find this very interesting, because I also uh-huh. got to say, you know, Ruben knows this, Professor, but you don't. I grew up in what we used to call a, a, a Spanish-Irish slum. Our dearest friends for decades, our family friends, were Puerto Ricans. And four of the five of the Puerto Rican family were lighter-skinned than I am. And I happen to be of Mediterranean extraction. So I'm finding this, this this what you're saying. Go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. No, no, no. what was your neighborhood? It was was Long Island City. Long Island City, Queens. It doesn't look like that anymore, believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's gentrified. I understand that. It had to be. I mean, sir, and I've said this on the air before, I used to go down to my corner and look west, and their room was an imposing view of the Empire State Building because we were just on the Queens side of the East River. So Beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, view. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was. But uh, those the Puerto Rican family, even when they moved, uh, the husband started to become very successful, and he bought a home upstate. And we would visit them upstate, even. I mean, I'm talking. This was we were close friends for decades, mm-hmm. and four okay. to five were lighter skinned than I was. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Yep. Uh, so let's let, let's let's get back on topic. Well, one of can I can I respond to that? One of the things that. Um, I think Latinos understand more than maybe outsiders do, is that even when Latinos look light, they know, Latinos know, that they're not white. And I'll tell you why. Because very often in a family that looks very European, you'll have a a child that is born who doesn't look like the others. Because there's such a mixture that goes back so many generations that what, what scientists call phenotype doesn't always represent the genotype. That is that what people appear to look like doesn't always represent what they are carrying inside in terms of their genes. So sometimes what happens is that the genes then combine and produces someone who looks like one of the ancestors, right? And that's why people always say among Latinos, you know, who is your grandmother? ¿Quién es tu abuela? You know? Right. Because that refers to an ancestor uh, that may not look the way you look. <laughs> right, but and it, you know, let me let me let me uh, mention something in regards to what you just said. Uh, yeah. Yes. In 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 Latin America, uh, there is um, there is uh, a, a people have mixed uh, between races, but mm-hmm. in reality, 
Hispanic, you know, and I've I've had discussions and I have had uh, on 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 the radio on the radio show, and 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 there's a lot of Hispanics that believe that Hispanic is a race, and Hispanic is is not a race. Hispanic is comprised of different races, because Hispanics can be white, Hispanics can be black, Hispanics can be Asian, Hispanics also can be indigenous. Uh, yeah, you're right, Indians, yes. Natives to Western Hemisphere, correct? Are you, right. are you referring I mean, to that court case? But, but I think the problem that I and that's the reason I'm I was so looking forward to your sh- uh, uh, coming on the show because to really tackle this issue of Hispanic and what's a Hispanic and because people are surprised when they hear oh black Hispanic oh I didn't know that we have black Hispanics of course we do. It's uh, uh, there, there were slaves that were taken to countries in South America, with the exception of Argentina. Every other country in Chile, every other country received a, a, a large number of, of of black slaves. So right. when 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 we, when we want to define Hispanic or what is a Hispanic or if it's not if he's white or he's not white uh, or if he's Jewish, because there's a lot of Spanish Jews. There. I mean, there's a, a lot of Hispanic uh, Latino Jews. Uh, oh well, you know that's the that's what I wanted to get to you. How do you see? Because I see I hear a lot of uh, Latinos say, "Well, I'm not really white." I'm and I'm like, I mean, I'm not really white. What do you mean? I'm looking at you. You are white. Uh, you know, <laughs> they, they 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 have this they have this thing that they feel that they're less. You know that low self esteem that I was bringing up from the very beginning. Well, it's not not a lack of self-esteem, like I said, necessarily. It could be, but I don't think it necessarily is. I think, again, what happens is that Latinos often come here with uh, a philosophy about race that is very different than that that exists here in the U.S. Again, in the U.S., there's a very stark division between the races. You're black, you're white, you're native, you're Asian, whatever, right? In Latin America, it tends to be a lot more fluid, so people can evolve from one race to the other. And people also understand that there's been so many mixings in the past, like I said earlier, that your grandmother may be black and you may look very white, which means that if you marry another Latino who also has the same phenotype, your children may not look the way you do because what may come out in the genes may go back one or two generations, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's always that perception that no matter what you look like, you're still carrying around that, right? Part of it is that, you know, when we talk about race, the reality is that every race is a fiction because scientists will tell you there is no such thing as a race. There's only one thing, a human race, right? What we have mm-hmm. are categories that we have invented socially in order to characterize people and treat them a different way. So given that fact, given the fact that any race is constructed by social perception, by social history, by social structures, then when we talk about Latinos, we have to consider the possibility that Latinos are race because when you look at all the facts on the ground, what happens to Latinos in terms of education, what happens to Latinos in terms of jobs and wages and wealth, what happens to Latinos in terms of segregation, which is increasing, then we have to say there's something happening to this group that's categorically different than what happens to other people. Like, for instance, uh, Latinos very often in the census, uh, I think the number of Latinos, the percentage of Latinos who indicate that they are white on the census is about 
40 or 50%. And there's a larger category of people who say other, and there's some who say mix and whatever. Right. Now, if you, take, if you take that number, right, you say, well, then those people must represent the people who are the whitest looking. So shouldn't they also be the people who are most successful in a society where racism still exists? Well, you find that's not the case. That sometimes even the whitest looking Latino doesn't evolve or go through society the same as someone else. And mostly because they live in certain communities that are segregated, poor schooling, have family that have all kinds of complications from, from immigration to police and judicial system. You know, all these various things which end up putting you in a category that may not represent what you look like, right? So it isn't as easy as simply saying you have a bunch of white-looking Latinos, so why are they looking down at themselves? It's not because they're looking down at themselves, because the identity that they're carrying is a mix of so many different influences that come from Latin America, come from their experience here, all these things combine into making them think that there's something conditioned that makes them non-white. Okay? Right. Well, the, the, the other aspect of that is also in Latin America, being white also is something to do with having straight hair. In some uh, cases, yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, in, in, in Latin America, if you have straight hair, you're considered white. If you have, you know, what they say, if, model, if, you, if you're hair, indigenous, with, you know, you have straight hair, then you're just an Indio, and you're at the bottom Indio. of the totem pole. <laughs> Right, but the thing is... Well, you the guys are fussy, is, man. You guys are fussy down to the type of hair you got. <laughs> <laughs> but well, again, it, it goes back to the, the issue of what we mean by race, right? Race is not something biological. It's a social construct. Do you know that if you take someone from India who may be blacker than many African-Americans here, right? That person is, in terms of their genetic background, Caucasian because they have more in common genetically with people from Europe than they do with people yeah. from Africa. Yes. And also so, from North, uh, Egyptians, so yeah. that part of Northern Africa, they're con- considered Caucasians, you know. Right, because they, they have... Okay, so now you step so into my uh, genetic ballpark when you mention North Africa. <laughs> my uh, maternal <laughs> grandmother was uh, North African via Malta. So, oh, yeah. uh, and I've had relatives, uh, you know, that I've communicated with over the decades that I've seen, you know, from these areas. So I have some insight onto that. But, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about the straight well, hair. Before, before you continue, room. I might be to know that the house that I own was uh, owned prior to, to, to us by someone from Malta. Wow, because there's not many of us. So you know what? Knowing the Maltese like I do, that has to be one hell of a house, sir. (laughs) You know, it it may not be gaudy. It it may not be gaudy and ostentatious, but uh, it's sturdy, I'm sure. It looks like every other house on the block. But the thing that was was interesting (laughs) was that after he moved... Oh, anyway, but I wanted to say about the straight hair. I wanted to point out, because I had a, a Peruvian girlfriend... She was an indigenous American, and she had beautiful straight black hair. So right. the in, indigenous peoples in South America and Central America, many of them have straight hair, and those are mm-hmm. the uh, original Western Hemisphere 
folks. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that people find all kinds of reasons for discriminating and separating people from others, right? So there isn't, true, any, true. You know, it, there isn't any one way of doing this, right? If you go to uh, Europe uh, prior to the onslaught of immigrants from the Middle East, the people who were at the bottom of the totem pole were gypsies, right? Right who also didn't look that much different from the Europeans, but they look a little bit swarthier, and they're originally from India, and they got arrested. They, they still get arrested and don't finish school like minorities do in this country, right? So it could be any number of ways for people, you know, to be discriminated against. And if you go to Great Britain, it was the Irish and the Scots who often face a lot of discrimination in England. Hey, so right? you could take Italy and... Italy yeah, has the it. same exact situation yeah. where the further my, you my, go my, down the boot, my cousin, the lesser the other Italians think of them until you come yeah. culminate in Sicily. Exactly. And all the Italians exactly. don't like the Sicilians. My, my, my cousin married uh, a, a man who was Italian-American, one of my cousins. And I went to her wedding, and I sat at the table where the man's aunt, the groom's aunt, were sitting. And my cousin is a dark Latina. And so when she came into the room for the reception, they started singing a little song. It was a little um, song about Sicilianos. Siciliana, Siciliana, Siciliana. And so I asked, <laughs> why are you singing that song? I said, oh, because she reminds us of people from Sicily. You know? <laughs> so they were northern <laughs> Italian. You know? Yo, yeah, they uh, are. Uh, 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 from, mm-hmm. uh, Professor Sanchez, uh, yeah. let, let's go on to the... Um, the other article uh, regarding uh, how Latino Hispanics lose and gain their power. Um, sure. First, the first question would be: Have Latinos gained any power in the last thirty years? Oh, sure. If I they mean, have, I'm not. Yeah. And, and if they have, uh, when did they lose it? <laughs> Of course, Latinos have gained some power. You can see evidence, you know, in many different instances, you know, in terms of elected officials, in terms of um, uh, many Latinos entering into various professions, you know, but still there's a long way to go, and there's a lot that needs to be done. And all I was saying in that article is that people are focusing on the wrong things. You cannot focus simply on the material things Mm -hmm. that you can measure. You have to look at the other people you're trying to um, gain power with, right? Because what we're really talking about is when Latinos gain power, is the ability to influence the larger society, right? Is the larger society going to pay attention to us, pay attention to our, to our demands, our requests, our needs, uh, pay attention to what we do? Uh, one of the articles I wrote recently had to do with how very often at the end of the year when periodicals like these summary articles about who was important who died in the previous year, they basically leave out Latinos. Like there was nobody important who died in the previous year who was Latino, right? And what I'm saying is, you know, when is it that they'll pay attention to Latinos? Well, they'll pay attention when it's something that we have that the larger society needs, wants, or desires. So we have to figure out what that is. You know, right now, all they want us for is to clean dishes, to build homes, take care of their children. Right? That's not enough. We've got right. to build other 
elements of our society. It could be political, could be in terms of organizing ourselves very, very well. It could be in terms of developing uh, leadership cadres that represent all Latinos. Now, for, I mentioned earlier how in the, in the African-American community you have these churches, right? And the thing about right. the African-American church that's so important is that they are independent of other institutions, right? Now, in the Latino community, until recently, only real body of, of institutions representing religion were the Catholic Church, which means it really wasn't our institution. Now you have evangelical churches that are building up, mostly the storefront. You don't have bodies like the Baptists, for instance, among the African-American community, or the Methodists, right, which are large institutions that have a national scope, and they're able to nurture and develop leaders. Like Martin Luther King, he came up through the church, right? So did Reggie Jackson. Now, all of these major leaders in the black community have come up through the church, but we don't have that kind of institution. So we depend on other people to do something for us that they don't want to do, and they can't do. Okay, right? I, 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 I could understand that, um, but I have to tell you something. I have to disagree with you on, in regards to the African-Americans. Uh, with all the churches and all the, uh, the individuals and all the organizations that are basically defending uh, uh, the African-American community, we still have 50% unemployment for young black individuals. We have a great number of black uh, African Americans in prison, uh, also unemployment in general, living mm-hmm. in poverty, drugs. Uh, so I, I don't think the the success matches all these organizations. I think there's individuals and organizations within the African community as well as in the in the Latino Hispanic. Because we have in Congress, we have 30 Hispanics in the House of Representatives. And we have all these individuals uh, around, in, 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 especially in New York City, we, in the city council, New York City Council, uh, mm-hmm. all, all these individuals. I think individuals ha- are succeeding, but as communities, I think as c- communities in urban areas, there has not been an advancement. You're absolutely right. I'm not denying that at all. I'm not saying that they have achieved a... Uh, a level of political influence that, you know, that is so great. But they certainly have more than we do. For instance, uh, the, the majority of the candidates running for president have sat down with various um, leadership you know, organizations in the black community, but they haven't done that with Latinos. You know, they don't have to. You know, what's the point? You know? <laughs> No, and I know I know what you mean. I mean Bernie Sanders and and Hillary. But again, one of the things that I have a uh, 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 discussion with my my my, my fellow uh, New Yorkers: How do we go about deciding and electing a, a, a mayor like De Blasio, who has been horrible to the Hispanic community in elected officials and treating the Hispanic, and basically? One of the things that I've seen in the last 30, 40 years is that Hispanic communities, and now we're going to get into the politics aspect of it, mm-hmm. uh, basically have, they have been voting for the same party in these urban communities, and the urban communities haven't changed. There's still drugs, there's still uh, liquor stores, and you know they come every four years asking for votes. And that's what yeah, basically... Yeah, the schools are just terrible, which is... 
I feel part of the one of the main roots of the poverty issue is education. And the fact that the black community doesn't see, wait a second, the, the Tea Party folks, constitutionalists, even Republicans support school choice and school vouchers. The Democrats are tenacious in their fight to prevent it. And then the blacks turn around and uh, vote Democrat again. Although I see glimmers of hope, like for instance, a few weeks before de Blasio, uh, or now he's on his third name audience. I wanted to uh, point that out. His his uh, his original name was something like Schickel Gruber, and then he changed it to Blasio, and then De, de Blasio. But anyway, a few weeks That's before the election, yeah, a few weeks before the election, there was a massive demonstration by rank-and-file decent black folks that they started walking from Brooklyn to Manhattan. They clogged the Brooklyn Bridge at rush hour at night, walking across demonstrating because they want more charter schools. And I thought de Blasio would hear them, but you're right. He, he, he's ignored the Latin American and, community. But, but and, then again, and, 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 then again, Professor, I have to tell you, uh, for, you know, I'm over 60 years of old age. I've been battling these radical leftists for much of my life. And that's how the Bolsheviks roll. You know, they have an agenda. And if you're not part of that agenda, you're just not in their line of sight, and they don't give a damn about you. They'll give you lip service. Now, And one thing I wanted to beg, both you gentlemen, and I wanted to beg the Latin community, whatever you do, please pick your own leaders. Go ahead. We want you to do that. Just don't go with these radical leftist criminals. Well, please don't be like the, you see, that I feel curtails the advancement of black people. Because many white because, folks, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but I am uh, the chairman of the board of the National Institute for Latino Policy. I'm also great. a coordinator of the group called the Campaign for Fair Latino Representation. Now, what the ben, I'm group talking does, to the right man. I'm talking to the right <laughs> man. I beg you, whatever <laughs> you do, don't well, let these loudmouth, radical leftist well, criminals become uh, your spokesman I, because it will uh, curtail your advancement. That turns I don't people I don't, off. I don't share, I don't sh- I don't share your viewpoint. We, we think that everyone has to be held accountable, whether they are conservative, radical, Democrat, Republican, independent, yeah. Yeah. whatever. Yeah. And that's what we've done throughout our campaign. When we got started, you know, the Blasio received about 70% of Latino votes. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, look, this guy came in there promise he's going to help heal the city and help address the inequality that exists in the city. Let's, let's see if we can monitor and try to hold him accountable. So we began to look at his appointments to see if he was going to make any real changes in who he appointed into office since he had that right as a new mayor, who's going to be the commissioners for this and this and that, right? And we found that yeah. in the beginning he was paying attention to Latinos, but after a couple of months, the percentage of Latinos who were being appointed in his administration began to decline. So that right now it's about 14% of his appointments are Latinos, whereas Latinos right. make up about 28% of the city, right? 
So now, well, wait a second. Is, Isn't the New York City Council president a Latina woman, though? Yes, but she was elected. We're talking about his appointments. Right, right. Okay, but to, uh, it's to nice to see they do have some representation because that is yeah, a, yeah, a fairly powerful is, seat in the New York government. Okay. Is that try to hold everybody accountable, right? So we published our report, we gave it to the news media, and then we asked for a meeting with the mayor. He kept basically pushing us off. And then finally, uh, in 2014, uh, or I think it was June or July, he asked them to come for a meeting, and we said, is the mayor going to be there? And they said, possibly. We showed up. He had about four or five commissioners there. He didn't show up. The mayor didn't show up. And the commissioner basically uh, gave us a dog and pony show where they told us <laughs> their responsibilities as heads of these commissions, right, and these agencies. And we said, look, we gave you a 40-page report that examined each agency and looked at what was happening in these agencies with regards to Latinos and gave recommendations. You guys don't seem to have read that. So we said, we're walking out of this. We're walking out of this meeting because you people are insulting us. We come here to have a serious discussion, and what you do is tell us what you do and not, not tell you anything about the report that we've given you. And since then, oh, what we've done you is, guys that you walked out on them. Good for you. We did it twice. We had another. We decided to give them another chance, and we had another walkout uh, about um, back in October, I think it was. No, no, September. September this past year, 2015. And then we decided to shift our focus from uh, paying attention so much to his hiring and looking at his policies. And we began to put together a set of policy forums. We had a major policy forum, a citywide policy forum, back in October of this past year, 2015. We had about 200 people there from various parts of the city, Latinos from various parts of the city. And we then launched a local-based campaign where we began having meetings at the local level because we think one of the things we have to do is build organizational capacity. It's nice to say Latinos have to stand up and demand things from the city or from the state or from the federal government. But if you don't have the capacity to do it, it's not going to happen, right? So we said, what we need to do is build something from the grassroots up. And so that we had local forums, policy forums in each borough. I led one here in Queens. Others led some in the Bronx and Brooklyn and Manhattan. And there's going to be one in Staten Island coming up. And the idea is to build up to a policy summit that we plan to have somewhere around maybe May or June, or June of this year, and then present a document which outlines the policy agenda for the Latino community of the city. Why do we do that? Because we want the city to know what are the things that we are asking of this administration, what are they willing to do, and if they don't do some of the things that we want them to do, they've got to explain why, and if they can't give us good enough reasons, then we begin to organize to make this guy a one-term mayor, right? Right, great. And so, I, I, I have to tell you, Professor Sanchez, I, I read, I read uh, every day, and um, the articles that are published um, with the National Institute for Latino Policy. I, I, right. I've, I've been on uh, with Mr. Falcone. I, I think he's done mm-hmm. a, a great job. I've kept up with the, uh, all those articles in regards to the appointments. Um, right. Mr. Falcone and I were on uh, on a debate um, on ABC a couple of years ago. Oh, is that right? Uh, I think it was a 2008 election. But mm-hmm. you, your organization is doing a great job. 
I just think I, I, I think I think there, there has to be more individuals like yourself and Mr. Falcon that that I that actually are are pushing to to defend and 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 defend the rights of, of the Hispanic Latino community because there's so many politicians out there that they get elected and basically okay you elect me and that's it and they're they're in for themselves and they're not focused on on the community and that's the reason we have communities today in New York and all over that are suffering. You're absolutely right. And, you know, to borrow a phrase from Donald Trump, what we've seen in the Latino community in terms of people rising up and demanding things is huge. We have had these forums in each part of the city that has a large concentration of Latinos, and we've been amazed by the, the, um, the number and the passion and the interest that has been shown. And so we're very hopeful that this will produce something really important for Latinos in New York City, maybe serve as a model for other places as well. You know, so it's the kind of thing that you're, you're saying we need and the kind of thing that we see happening, you know. Now, the one thing that we don't have is resources. We don't have money, and we're hoping to be able to do some fundraising and maybe get some sort of support from a foundation or something because, what we're doing, we think, is so vitally important, not just for Latinos, but also for the city as a whole, because my belief is that a city like New York cannot afford to lose a population like Latinos, not just because Latinos deserve to be here, because we want to be here, but also because this city needs that diversity to remain strong and vibrant and economically successful. If you think about all the things that have come out of the city, you can point to so many of our communities as being responsible for it. like things like hip hop. Because people think of hip hop as a, you know, it's now an international economic and musical force, right? But Latinos, especially Puerto Ricans, were vitally important in the development of hip hop in the Bronx. Yes. Yes. Very true. And this is something that keeps the city in you would say the um, genetic code for world cultural and economic development. So to lose Latinos from the city would mean to lose that that part of the bloodstream, you know, that makes the city can, so vibrant. Can you provide? Can you um? Can you go ahead and provide your 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 website, and we'll 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 definitely post it on on uh, on our homepage for anyone who's interested in 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 helping out your organization. Oh sure, the campaign uh, can be found if you go to latinorepresentation.org. That's all one word. Dot org, LatinoRepresentation.org. You'll find information about the campaign for fair Latino representation. And there's information there about uh, some of the data reports we put out and the forms that we've had as well. And um, I think, you know, people should look forward to some of the things we're going to be doing and certainly want them to attend and to be right. a part of this movement, something that... Uh, What's beautiful about this movement also is that it's Latinos from every part of Latin America. It's Ecuadorians, it's Peruvians, it's Puerto Ricans, it's Dominicans, it's Colombians, it's all the groups coming together. Now, it doesn't always work perfectly because we're communicating and interacting at a level that didn't exist before, right? So there's always going to be some lapse. There's always going to be some things that won't go exactly as we want, but we are communicating and we are touching each other and we are... Uh, joining arms and trying to do what we can to lift up this community. Definitely. We have a couple of minutes to go. I just wanted to touch really quickly. 
do you do you see the uh, the 26 ele uh, 2016 election as a turning point in regards to the Latino community and who they're voting for? Um, well, Latinos will probably vote for Democrats because the Republicans have basically made it impossible for them to get much Latino votes. But I don't think it's going to – I mean, the difference is going to come in Florida and it will probably come in Texas, right? And from what I can see, uh, it will probably go more Democratic. I mean, but you never know what's going to happen during the campaign. There may be some discoveries. You know, if Hillary becomes a candidate and things, you know, blow up in her face, then if Trump is the uh, Republican candidate, who knows, right? But – and we also don't know what Bloomberg is going to do because he's been – you know, suggesting that he may enter the race, and he may do so if Trump becomes a Republican candidate because I think he's part of the Republican mainstream, and he wouldn't want to oh, see... Oh, we would love to see that. The uh, American <laughs> citizens on the ball would love to see that because Bloomberg but, is vehemently anti-Second Amendment. Uh, I don't see many constitutionalists or Republicans crossing over to vote for Bloomberg because of those positions. Oh, you'd be surprised. Because there are, majority, however. No, I, I understand yeah, I would, yeah. but I would just think, on a whole, he would take more votes from Democrats than he would for Republicans. So I welcome his entry into the race. <laughs> well, we shall see. Well, I, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something. I have a lot of contacts throughout the, the whole country, um, and uh, one of the things that I'm hearing is that 15 to 20% of Democrats especially union Democrats, mm -hmm. they're, they're not going to be voting for Hillary. Uh, I think that there's a big push to, to, for Hispanics and Latinos to, to vote for, for Hillary because she's losing, she's losing the vote uh, with the young people with, with Bernie, feeling the burn. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, I think uh, the Clintons, in my opinion, and, and this is uh, everyone is entitled to have their own opinion, but I, I believe that they will not, Hispanics, if they keep voting uh, for uh, uh, Clinton, nothing is going to change. You mm -hmm. need to basically, I think a lot, of, a lot of Hispanics now are moving more to Bernie. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. in, in Nevada, there were more Hispanics voting for, for Bernie. Well, you know what, I have to disagree with you, Ruben. If the Latinos vote for Clinton, things will change. They'll get worse. Go ahead, carry on. <laughs> Well, you know, the numbers are really questionable because it's really hard to pinpoint who exactly voted for whom, the way, you know, those elections take place in those precincts, and the fact that Latinos are not very involved in the Democratic, um, you know, uh, primaries and caucuses and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens, but certainly Trump yep. has not done himself any favors with Latinos, and there's been a lot of organizing against him, so if he's the candidate, He's certainly going to lose a lot of Latino votes. Now the question becomes turnout. Will Latinos turn out to vote? Will African Americans turn out to vote? And if they do, then the Republicans don't stand a chance. Now, how right. about the fact? Now, now, how does the Latin American community react? We have, we to have the one fact? minute. We have one minute. Yeah, one that, minute that, that the two of the top three Republican candidates are Hispanic. That well, doesn't uh, well, carry any gravitas well, well, with them. Not really, because I think many people don't see them as Latinos because they don't they don't identify mostly with Latinos. They they never acted as if they were advancing Latino interests. 
And, and you know, like, like Ted Cruz, he changed his first name to Ted. You know, I think it was Raphael or something like that before. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Thank you, sir. His mother actually helped him pick the name because she felt it would make him seem like a teddy bear. You know, <laughs> more more Anglo. Yeah, more well, more yeah. Anglo. Well, um, Professor Sanchez, we'll definitely yeah. uh, we uh, we'll love to have you back. Uh, there's a lot more to cover, but thank you again, and uh, we appreciate your uh, taking time to come on our program. Yeah, right, thank, thank you, you very much, on. sir. And again, because of your esteemed positions, I beg you. Please don't permit these radical leftists to hijack the Latino <laughs> movie. There we go. There Please we go. Don't let them do that. <laughs> well, thank you for your questions, and thank you for having me on. Uh, and thank uh, you, sir. Uh, okay, bye. Okay, now we do have another guest for the second part of this two-hour blast of a show, but they haven't called yeah. in yet, Ruben. Oh, 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 oh okay. here we go. I just got someone called in. Let's see who this caller is. Hold on. Oh. My internet is misbehaving. Oh, Hello, caller. You are on the air. Hi, this is Manny Roman from Miami. Can you hear me? Ma- How yes, are you, Yes, we can. And Ruben, talk to your friend, Ruben. Go ahead. Uh, uh, Manny, w- welcome. Welcome to... Uh, the new age of politics here uh, on Students for a Better Future, and welcome to um, another evening of uh, exciting politics, and um, congratulations Thank on uh, being vice chairman of uh, the Miami-Dade Republican Party. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on the show. It's always a pleasure to, you know, to speak to more people and, and keep passing along the message of Senator Ted Cruz and why we think he's the consistent conservative that's going to that's gonna win the nomination. And and thank you on the on, on on your comment regarding the vice chairmanship down here in Miami. It's um it's an honor to be representing such a large county um on behalf of the Republican Party down here. Definitely, definitely. I I, I that's one of the th- subjects that I want to touch. Within your uh Republican Miami Dade Republican Party, uh there's been they were very, very not happy that you went ahead and endorsed uh Senator Ted Cruz especially coming from your chairman, uh, Nelson Diaz. Um, how has that been? Uh, have you, are they still up, upset with your decision to endorse uh, Senator Ted Cruz? Yeah, I think, um, I think upset might be an understatement. <laughs> so as you know, um, <laughs> I'm, being, I'm, I'm, I'm being kind. Yeah, as you know, um, both Jeb Bush and, and Marco Rubio are from Miami. This is their hometown. And, and you can only imagine um, kind of, well, you know, the, the, the backlash that kind of came at me when when I decided to kind of break the the unspoken rule, which I, I like to call it, because there is an unspoken rule in Miami Dade, um, and that is that you don't publicly support someone other mm-hmm. than two home, home hometown guys, you know, Mark Rubio, Jeb Bush. Um, but but right. you know what what I always say is if we really want um, to move this country in the right direction, if we want to fix what's wrong, you have to you have to be willing to do what's right and sometimes pay the political. And in, in my personal case, you know, I, I did get a lot of um, Backlash. It was a motion to remove me from my position. Uh, a lot of people, especially within the political establishment down here, um, you know, tried to intimidate me, tried, tried to force me to resign. Um, right. And, um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and different things. They told me that my political future was done and, and, and I could just forget about politics. And, you know, you can only imagine everything I've heard. Um, but, but, you know, I, 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 stood to my, I, I stuck to my guns and, and I'm happy with my decision. Um, no matter what happens with Senator Ted Cruz, I know I made the right decision in endorsing him. 
Well, I think you did. Uh, and I, I'm also, I've made it public, uh, I'm, I'm for Ted, and uh, I believe in Ted, and, 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 and we're, we're basically uh, going in that direction. But I, I wanted to focus more on you. You, you are, you became, um, you voted, you voted in 2008 for, and correct me if I'm wrong, you voted for Barack Obama in 2008. Yeah, and, and I always like to, by the way, I volunteer that to the media uh, because I was a college student back in, in 2008. I was pursuing okay. my undergrad in finance, so I was I was very young, um, you know, and, and I wasn't involved too much politically. I just more of a passive voter. Um, and I always like to tell the story of, you know, um, how I became a Republican because there's hope. There's hope for the youth out there, you know. Um, so, yeah, in 2008, um, I... I Voted for Obama. I was one of those young people that bought into the, you know, I think the socialists uh, in this country do a good job in um, having the youth believe that that they that that you could um, make change through force, and that that's what the Democratic Party represents is the use of the initi- the initiation force to get things done. So although you might believe in the same end goal, their way of doing it is through force. And at the time, you know, a passive kind of you know non-informed voter, I went ahead and, and voted for Obama. Um, and then I, I kind of doing the Tea Party wave in 2010. Well, first of all, I had a very libertarian uh, finance professor um, in 2009 when I was doing my master's degree in business. Um, kind of flipped me on my head. Um, he he asked a question to the class, which he said, "Name one federal government program that hasn't had the opposite effect of its original intention, because all these federal laws are passed with good intentions." And I sat there and I and I, I verbally said this that. And every single answer I gave him, he just flipped it on, on me and said, no, it's actually, this is the, the actual result. And I just had that moment. I'm not sure if, if, if you guys, it was your past, but for me, it was a cognitive, a cognitive dissonance. That's what it's called. When you kind of, you know, your whole um, belief system is flipped on its head. And, and yeah, you come and, to and Jesus' I, moment, I, it's called. <laughs> it was like your aha moment. And I realized, yeah. sure. this guy is completely right. His name is Johnson Danowitz. He's a, a doctor, a PhD in finance from Rochester. He, he teaches down here at Florida International University, where I teach now. And uh, right. and he taught me the way, man. You know, I, I became a Republican through, through the libertarian um, path. And then in 2010, doing the Tea Party wave, um, you know, I got involved a little more in politics. And, you know, I, 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 I that's when that's where my involvement in Republican Party really, in the Republican Party really started. And, and many, many. I brought that up. Don't don't. I wasn't trying to uh, uh, you know lowball you on that. I was I voted for Bill Clinton twice. So uh, when I when I was a Democrat, so I and then I became then I realized what the hell what the, what the hell I was doing, and then I became a, a, a staunch uh, conservative. Consider right, yeah, but you know, Ruben, Ruben, I can make a case that Bill Clinton was one of the better Republican presidents. So you shouldn't feel bad voting for him because I respected Bill because he signed every bill that the Republican Congress and Newt Gingrich put in front of him. And <laughs> no, no, but that's I, why I, we had the I, surplus. I know, I know, but I was—I I meant to—I didn't want a Manny to think that I, I'm just basically lowballing by saying, "Oh, yeah, but you—you you, you were a Democrat because I was too." Oh yeah, no, I, I don't just worry. wanted to get. I just wanted everyone because you know I, I have a lot of a, a lot of colleagues, uh, Ted Cruz colleagues that they love you. They 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 really like you a lot. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I've actually you know in standing up to the Miami political establishment, 
Um, okay. Believe it or not, thousands of people throughout the country um, have messaged me on Facebook, have received letters. Believe it or not, the, the Republican Party down here, the secretary, um, um, I, I think a little bit to her displeasure, she, she received a letter addressed to Manny Roman from around the country. There was one from Pennsylvania that she gave to, to the chairman and said, look at this now, they're coming from Pennsylvania. You know, because there's been this outpour of support um, because I think the, the crew supporters throughout the country um, saw that, you know, that it takes, you know, you, you have to stand up for what you do. And, and people, you know, I love the encouragement, but I definitely didn't do it for that. I did it because I want to see Ted Cruz become commander-in-chief. Um, and well, the outpour has been overwhelming. Like, I have, and on Facebook alone, 8,000 people have liked my page since, since my endorsement. Um, Senator Ted Cruz, you know, the whole campaign has reached out to me. I've been on, you know, multiple, um, um, you know, media interviews. Um, talking about not just this, but talking about Ted Cruz's platform, his economic plan, and everything else. Um, because obviously, as as vice chairman, as a, as a professor in, in, at a university, um, yes. you tend to have a little credibility in these things when it comes to finance, when it comes to business, when it comes to the election. And I'm more than happy to be a surrogate for the Ted Cruz campaign um, if they need me. Definitely. Uh, I I I have a question from. Uh... Gentlemen, because you're you are of Puerto Rican descent, American, but of Puerto Rican descent, correct? Yep, I, w- I was born in Puerto Rico. I grew up in, in Miami. Um, I grew up on uh, my my parents separated at a young age. My stepdad yep. was Cuban, um, so I grew up in a partly Cuban household with Cuban cousins and uncles, and and yeah, we have a pretty diverse um diverse well, um household. One of the questions is uh, why is the grassroots Republican Party uh Part of uh, Ted Cruz, how come they're not reaching out to uh, the conservative Republicans in Puerto Rico? So it's, it's really funny that you mentioned that specifically, the, the Puerto Rico question, because as you said, I'm, I'm you know I was born in Puerto Rico, I, I go there all right. the time. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be going to Puerto Rico on behalf of the campaign um, really soon. So um, I'm, I'm not sure if if, if, you, if that listener or, or that person has. Um, is from Puerto Rico if, if they're if they yes, yes, yes. Um, yes, you can let them know. Mm-hmm. Help is on the way. I'm going to be going over there on behalf of the thing. We're going to, you know, we have a, a primary coming up in Puerto Rico on March 6th. It's a Sunday, March 6th. And okay. 23 delegates are going to be awarded that day. Um, and Puerto Rico, uh, although it's a, it's a territory, it's not a state, it still awards delegates for the Republican National Committee. So so part of Ted Cruz's strategy is to get to 1,200 delegates Um you know, worry about winning states, yeah, but the actual delegates is what matters. And we're aware that Puerto Rico is, you know, an important territory. There's a lot of Puerto Ricans in Florida and Orlando, New York. Um, yeah, yeah. Of them I know. So, so yeah, we are reaching out to them. Um, it might not be as public because, you, you know, obviously Senator Cruz is right now in Nevada, and then he might go to Texas or Florida and so on. But um, but the campaign does consider Puerto Rico important, and, and that's why I'm going to be going over there um, early next month. Well, I'll, I'll put you. I'll put you in contact with the people that that, that uh, the individuals that that I know. Yeah, and, and just, if if you don't mind me just saying something really fast regarding Puerto Rico and just in general, in our website, um, TedCruz.org, TedCruz.org, um, you, you you could there's, there's a um, a map or or an area where you could select where where you're from. Um, you could click on the map and then click on you know either the state or the territory. In this case, Puerto Rico. If you want to learn more about you know. Um, how do, how do you how do you vote there? Uh, what are we going to do, and so on? So at techcruise.org, you can find a lot of information, not just about the issues and everything else, but but about um, our ground game. 
Okay, that that that's good. That's good, and, and we'll you'll be able to uh, repeat it again. Uh, your, the website TedCruz.org. Um, there's there's been a lot. There's been a large. There's been a large infusion. Go ahead, Ruben. There's been a large. There's been a large infusion of, of Puerto Ricans due to the economic situation in Puerto Rico, and uh, most most of them have been going to Orlando. Uh, what is, what is the Ted Cruz uh, campaign, especially in Florida? Get out the vote because I know the Democrats are basically looking at at those new individuals to be voters uh, in twenty sixteen. You as a vice chairman, what 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 are you guys doing to get those new uh, individuals to come out and vote for uh, the Republican Party and, and Ted Cruz? So in Miami Day specifically, um, that's a, that's a good question. In Miami Day, we've actually started a, a voter registration drive for people who might be independents or Democrats, but are really Republicans or want to switch to Republicans, or people who are not registered and want to be Republican. Um, we started that already um, just in the last couple of months because of you know different priorities we had last year. And although in, in Miami Day there are more Democrats than Republicans right now, um, we still tied in January of this year, last month. And we tied them with the number of um, registered Republicans, new registered Republicans at 1,800, around 1,800 more or less, um, both for us and, both, and for the Democratic Party. So we've been making different um, outreach efforts, whether on social media, whether through the, you know, through our our REC grassroots members who are who are um, trained and certified to to be able to register voters, because there is some depending on the county where you live, there's some laws regarding who's able to register voters. Um, who's able to carry more than one registration form and deliver it. There's all these laws. So, so we are working, um, you know, within the framework to register more Republicans. Last month in January, we actually tied the Democrats. We're really happy with that because there's just so many more Democrats. Yeah. Um, and in Orlando. Thank you. I'm sorry. And, and, just, and just really fast, and in Orlando, um, you know, you mentioned throughout Florida, you know, the Cruz campaign is, is the grassroots campaign. As, as you may know, this is the grassroots army. You know, nationwide we have 200, over 200,000 volunteers. And yes. what we do um, through our network, whenever there's people that want to show that, that want to vote for Ted Cruz, we always make sure we, we direct them in the right direction. We, we give them the, either the link or the registration form, and, and we set them on the path so they can register to vote. Uh, that is really important if, if you're not registered to vote. Um, but both the party is doing something about it, and the Cruz campaign through the grassroots are doing something about it. Yeah, the Cruz crew, uh, the, so the Cruz strikers. Um, yeah, the strike, what, the strike. What, what, there, there is a strike force. I, I think that's what you meant. The strike force. The strike force. Yeah, the team Cruz the strike force. Uh, you 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 teach at uh, FSU, uh, FIU. Uh, hello. I'm here. I'm not sure what that was. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. I'm what? sorry. That was a fire engine behind me. Uh, FIU, uh, in regards to your professor, what's the mood in regards to the young students, the college uh, students that that uh, are going to be voting this year? Uh, are they leaning more? Are they feeling the burn, or are they feeling the tag? <laughs> um, so I, I teach business. Um, I teach international business. Specifically, this semester I'm teaching multinational strategy. So that's basically if you know if you're a multinational corporation and you want to expand and you want to go into say Brazil, how do you get there? Um, how do you structure yourself organizationally to be able to meet the needs of those consumers? Um, you know, how do you brand yourself and, and, and all that? So um, I tend to be very um, 
I'm loyal to the course and the material in my in my classroom. Um, if you ask any of my students, I, I think they could tell that maybe I'm I'm a free markets guy. I'm a I'm a you know a, a, a less government guy, but I I don't I, I don't actively um, you know try to convince my students per se to the Republican Party other than promoting the principles and the values maybe a little more indirectly of of the um, of, of the platform of the party you know which is you know free enterprise. Um, and so on. So, 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 just wanted to get that out there. But regarding the mood of the students, um, it's yeah. pretty diverse. It's pretty diverse, especially in Miami, uh, where a lot of of my students, their parents, um, either their parents or their grandparents, fled Cuba or uh, another country in Latin America, where they don't always respect the rule of law. So, I, I, I guess um, compared to the rest of the country, my my classroom might be a little more, um, a little bit of of a. I don't want to say outlier, but maybe a little more conservative than than, than maybe a more liberal college up north. Um, so so we we we're lucky in that sense. Uh, but but students, you know, I, I think they like Ted Cruz. If you look at the the numbers from states like South Carolina, New Hampshire, and and, and Iowa, um, we won the young vote. You know, we're really building that Reagan coalition that includes evangelicals, libertarians, um, you know, right. um, but but and, and Democrats, but but also young people. We we're always consistently winning the age of 19 to 34. Um, specifically in my classroom, you know, to be honest, it's a mixed bag, um, and, and I don't think my classroom specifically will be a fair representation of um, of the rest of the country. Right, because typically, I mean, and I have cousins in in in, uh, in, in Miami, and and basically growing up uh, and getting to know them, um, a lot of the older folks. The Cubans, uh, they were staunch Republicans, but the younger Cubans tend to be more left-leaning. More left. Am I am I correct in saying that? Yeah, but you know, Uh, Ruben, isn't that true of all, probably across all nationalities? uh, When when you look at our youth, uh, because of the. leftist indoctrination that's occurring uh, in the school system. Couldn't you say that about any nationality and, and their youth? Yeah. No, yeah, and, and that's a really, yeah, sadly, that, that's a really good point. That, that's a really good point you brought up because um, I could tell you from when I was a student, and, and I guess the, the overwhelming um, number of, of my colleagues, and, and as, as you know, in, in higher academia, they I think um, they tend to be more liberal than the conservative. I, I think most people know that, and um, I think, especially a lot of the liberal professors, I, I think you tend to hear more from them about their their political philosophy in the classroom. Um, it may be just because the sheer number of them um, that, that it seems that way, but um, you know, I, I definitely try try to stick to to the to the syllabus, to to, to the business, to, to the business cases that we discuss in my class. Um, and unless we're talking after class, I I don't like to bring in Republican politics per se. Although I, right, I, I right, do yeah. talk about the principles and free markets during, during the class, you know. And that's, you that's are an smart. exemplary professor, then, sir, and I commend you for <laughs> maintaining that uh, approach. Many, many. Uh, how many more uh, do I have, do we have you for another five minutes, or and that, that's uh, you know? Yeah, like yeah, I yeah, mentioned yeah. You had me till till nine till nine thirty. Um, so, so if you like, we, we could um, we have um, okay. twelve more minutes. So, okay. all right, let's, let's get into the uh, business aspect of Ted Cruz's campaign. It's been a uh, financial aspect of 
um, running um, as a as a fiscal conservative. Um, I, that's what I am. I'm a fiscal conservative. Um, the, you know, he brought up the tax the the ten percent tax rate plan. The uh, in regards to how that is worked into a normal scheme in getting rid of the IRS, how feasible is that in your in your in your, in, in your mind? Great. So, so just for your listeners and 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 just just to um, so everyone understands what um, exactly Ted Cruz's tax plan is, I'm going to just give a, a couple highlights of it, and then and then I'll go ahead and answer your question. So the the, the flat tax, uh, which Ted Cruz right. is, um, is, is 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 one of his two um, major legislative um, initiatives if elected president. There's getting rid of Obamacare and there's implementing the flat tax. Um, and just right. to give some highlights on the flat tax, it's, uh, on the individuals, it's a, it's a 10%. Uh, flat, ten percent. On um, businesses, is around I think sixteen percent flat. And then, if you're a family of four, um, so going back to individuals, if you're a family of four, you pay zero dollars on the first forty thousand dollars, and um, you get we get rid of the payroll tax, and we get we get rid of the death tax. Um, this whole scheme, this whole um, um, you know, moving away from a bunch of loopholes. Um, getting rid of um, the need of companies and 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 people to have a large you know lobbying team in K Street um, to you know to find um, ways around the tax code. Um, this, this whole project is, is, of what Ted Cruz is trying to put together. Um, it sounds great and it is great. If if you look at um, Ronald Reagan's chief economic um, advisor, he endorsed Senator Cruz's tax plan. He said this is the strongest tax plan of all the of all the candidates in the race. And it really is because it allows it puts money back um, to the individuals, and it allows companies um, to no, no longer have to um, like, for example, I worked at Burger King um, and other large companies. This is where you tend to repatriate less of your foreign earnings because the U.S. taxes you on on those foreign earnings when you repatriate the funds, even though those those um, that revenue wasn't generated in the U.S. So anyhow, I think the um, th- that scheme is going to create an enormous amount of jobs. Um, we all know that government doesn't create jobs. It creates an environment that enables job creation, and that's really what um, Ted Cruz's um, um, tax plan does. So your question is how feasible is that? Well, yeah. if, if you look at what, what Ronald Reagan did, um, there was a lot of pushback before Ronald Reagan became president saying he was too conservative. He, he was too radical. His ideas would never be accepted because, um, you know, he doesn't have the support. No one's going to work with him. Um, does that sound familiar? That you know, people are not going to want to work with with, with Ted Cruz. Um, I think that's of course, yeah, they say the same thing about Trump, also. Well, that, that, I, I don't want to comment too much about about Trump because um, I yeah. think Trump, um, well, well, he, well, he, well, he, I think well, he's well, going to go to Washington and people will work with him because he's going to make deals. So, so I, I, well, I think, uh, yeah, let's let's, so I, let's let's stay focused on 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 on, on this. Sure. So, 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 but but I do agree with. with um, <laughs> The other gentleman online that, that that Trump will go to Washington and make deals. I think that we've had deals um, for the past, you know, 16 years. And if you want some, if you think lack of deals is not is 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 was um not helping. No, but but correction, we've had deals these past seven years, but they've all been bad deals. Uh, we well, haven't if had. Ask, if, if you ask, and, and I don't mean to to get into a, a debate with you, but if you ask Paul Ryan, if you ask um, John Boehner. Um, some yeah. of his deals that he says these are great deals. You know, Republicans get what they want, um, Democrats get what they want, and the taxpayer and the average American um, basically. Well, 
guess you know what. Yeah. Well, so so I, I, I do think some of our foreign – I think you might be talking about some of our foreign, you know, trade deals and so on. But I'm just talking about more about the, the budgetary well, deals that are made between Democrats in Washington and backroom in Congress. Right. We can touch on you know, that. We, here's, here's what I was talking about. I was talking about I, me watching tens of millions of Republicans and Tea Party people work their tails off, donate money and time to the Republican Party, only to see them acquiesce to every single radical leftist cockamamie BS coming out of the Obama administration. <laughs> and that's what right. I've seen. And yeah. hence, you have Donald Trump to deal with. Right. And it's, it's because let's, let's, of that betrayal. Let, go ahead. All right, go ahead, Ruben. Let's say focus on the, on the tax plan because my, 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 my focus is when we go to the communities in, let's say, Miami-Dade County, in Homestead, and, 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 and some of the – and we are trying to sell this flat tax, 10% and 16%. How convincing – when you're doing this, how convincing – or how, how are they understanding this? Because that's what I – you know, I, I, I'm, I'm for tech, but we have to get to the people that out there that may not have – may not be you, me, or, or that have an understanding of what flat tax or, or business economic 101. Yeah, yeah, and so you, you basically, you, you have to, you know, tell the message. It's, it's really not, you know, it's not too complicated. Today, the, the high, you know, the, 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 the top end marginal tax rates are on 39.5%. Um, right, the corporate this, tax. This is, this is what we want to do. Um, and, and maybe ex- explain how the how the corporate tax and the and tax on dividends might be a a double taxation. Um, some of it might be, you know, you you, you definitely have to um, um, explain it in terms that uh, the average person will will listen to. But remember, we have a Republican Congress today. We have a Republican House and a, a Republican Senate today. So I think the overwhelming number of Americans uh, want to pay less taxes. If, if you explain to them how, you know, how Senator Ted Cruz's tax plan, you'll be paying significantly less taxes. Um, your tax return will be significantly easier. Um, this actually. Um, under the Ted Cruz administration, um, your right. tax return will be done in, in a postcard. And hit the postcard is actually on his website, tedcruz.org. You can actually see the, his proposed um, postcard for tax returns. It's going to be much more simple. Um, there's going to be very few deductions, maybe um, only on, for example, your the interest on the mortgage of your home. Um, and and you, if you have a family, if you have kids, um, you get deductions. And, and that's it. You know, And whatever's left, you pay 10%. And so, so it's a very simple, um, easy-to-understand tax scheme that allows a lot of transparency within the government and gets rid of a lot of loopholes so that you don't have to, you know, if you're a big company, you don't have to have a team of 400 accountants um, doing a tax return of 200,000 pages, like in the case of GE, um, because you pay a flat tax of whatever percent um, um, corresponds to you. And, you know, the rest of the money goes to your shareholders, goes to the reinvesting in, in, in the business for more growth, hiring people, right. paying higher wages, and so on. Um, but I do think that the message is important to be able to communicate that to, you know, right. down to the taxpayer. But I would emphasize that we already have a Republican Congress, so we should be able to sell oh, it um, to our representatives relatively easy. It, it's definitely, um, definitely. the right. And, 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 and many, many, I, I, that I understand. But the message that when I was in Iowa, I was in Iowa and I spoke to, the people in charge, the decision makers over there, and, and I was telling them that, like, if we're if we're talking to individuals that we want them to vote, 
we're going to tell them, listen, you're going to keep more, more money. When you see your paycheck, you're going to have more money, and you're going to be able to enjoy that money because most people are not going to understand this, this 10% flat tax. Uh, uh, really, it's, it's a lot more, and, and you've got to get really basic. Yeah, but yeah. if you tell but, the average American, um, if you tell them, like right now, the average American, a family of four, on the first forty thousand, you pay zero taxes, and that amounts to, you know, X dollars compared to you know, um, yeah. more than today. They'll get that message very clearly. You know, yeah. they just like when um, when President Bush did the his his um, he had some fiscal reform where he gave a stimulus package or a stimulus check to individuals. Um, yeah, people respond quickly when they see a check, or when they say. Definitely. The last, um, because it's uh, their last money. I mean, the bottom line is, 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 is their money. It's people's money. It doesn't belong to the government. Um, you know, right. I, the, the real tax is the spending. Um, we we need to cut spending. Um, when you cut spending, then you could cut taxes because you, you can't just uh, cut yeah. taxes without cutting spending because then you end up borrowing the money, um, and, and eventually that, that, that debt becomes a tax. Well, that's the reason we have a, almost a $20 trillion uh, deficit. Uh, quick, um, because we're, we have a minute to go at – Quick, in regards to portability, which is something that I do like uh, about in regards to a replacement, making uh, insurance cheaper, that you can carry insurance from one job to another, or portability, how, how, how critical and how important is that being under, understood by people in regards to replacing Obamacare? Because most people say, oh, he's going to replace Obamacare, but the other parts, can you just briefly touch on that? Yeah, there's there's several other parts, right? Um, One of them is that we need to reduce the barriers in the insurance market. Um, For example, today, if you're an insurer in Florida, um, you cannot um, insure in Georgia and pull the risk of your insurers so that you can... Right, yeah, you can't cross state lines, correct. Yeah, so so there's all these, um, what I like to call artificial barriers and and restrictions in the insurance market. So um, a real... Uh, approach of uh, a more free enterprise approach. We'll get rid of so much of these regulations, um, and then and, and then some some of the other regulations is what you mentioned about port, uh, portability. The reason why insurance schemes are set up that way today is because of the tax benefit um, mm-hmm. that companies have by offering this this benefit to their employees. Uh, but if you offer it directly to individuals um, and and you make it tax deductible in, in their taxes, then you know you don't necessarily have to offer it. As, the companies won't have to necessarily offer it. As a benefit in in their job, um, so so for example, if 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 um if I get the same tax benefit that my company gets with me paying the health insurance, then I could just get I I could be insured regardless of the job I had. And as I switch jobs, my insurance goes with me, just like your car insurance. Um, doesn't matter what company you work for. Um, if you switch jobs, you still you still maintain your car insurance. So I, I think right. we need to um lower those um the regulations and the restrictions within the insurance market. That's going to bring prices down. Um, and it's going to increase competition. You know, you have more people, more companies innovating, um, finding um, solutions um, and to reduce costs and therefore reduce the price to the consumer. Right. Can we mention the 800-pound uh, gorilla in the room regarding health care? And that being, uh, when I listen to anyone and everyone talk about repealing Obamacare and replacing it, what I don't hear is tort reform. Let's put a cap on these unrealistic settlements that occur. However, if one supports that, 
One now is going to be taking on the Trial Lawyers Association lobby. One powerful entity in this country that's rarely discussed. So does Ted uh, have anything in there about tort reform? That's a great question. Um, I, I'm sure the answer will be in techcruise.org, and I'm sorry I'm promoting that website so much. But, um, no, no, go ahead. Regarding, regarding his, um, his, his, his plan to repeal Obamacare, um, there is, you know, he has an overall uh, approach um, to, to reducing the cost of health care. And within your input costs, if, if you're a company, you obviously, within your loss ratios, within your claim costs, you obviously have a factor in there that's for what you mentioned. Um, some people might call it frivolous losses. Some people might call it um, something else. But um, you do want to uh, address these issues. Um, I'm, if, if you want all the details to, to his, to his health care plan, you're obviously going to have to, you know, go go with our website and, okay. and learn a little more. Maybe you know off the top of your head. I just thought you'd know maybe yeah. off the top of your well, head. And, and I'll also just say that, that there's also, you know, things that have to be addressed uh, at the state level. You know, there's things you want to address um, at the federal level. For example, um, being able to sell across state lines that allows higher competition and, and, and better diversification of risk for insurance companies. Uh, but there's issues that you also want to resolve. Um, at the state level. I'm not saying tort reform is one of those. I'm saying maybe that's one where you want to do at both levels. Definitely, definitely. Well, if anyone's talking about reining in the cost of health care, tort reform has to, it's imperative to be part of that conversation. I agree. Manny, um, basically, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the the program. Um, Definitely we'll be uh, talking, and I will be in touch with you regarding Puerto Rico before you leave uh, for Puerto Rico. Um, and, yeah. uh, good luck. Good luck. I know the I know the primaries are um, in Florida are March 15th, and um, I, I want oh the guys for March. Look out, guys. Look <laughs> out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to thank both of you for having me on and and letting me talk about a little bit about Ted Cruz and and what he stands for. Um, you know, I, I would love to be back on and talk to your viewers anytime. Definitely. You know, you're um, you know, yeah, we'd love to, to have you, sir. Love to have you. Thank you. Definitely, Manny. All right, guys. Good luck. And send, my, 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 send my love to uh, good old Miami, especially uh, Kendall. Kendall. I will. Kendall area. I will. <laughs> All right, All right guys. Will. You guys have a good night. You too. You too. Okay, Ruben. Your Ted Cruz Love Fest is officially over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and I, I wanted to tell you one thing on the air, buddy. If Trump wasn't in the race, I'd be all in for Ted Cruz. But I just think Trump has the smarts that no one else in this race has. He's patriotic. He wants to put Americans first, not that Ted doesn't. I've said on the air before, I admire Ted because he stood up in that Senate and called Mitch McConnell a liar. That took nerve. That took backbone. And if Trump doesn't win, I hope it's Ted. I would, ha- I would happily click that lever for Ted Cruz. Uh, but um, I, I think we need Trump. We need a bulldozer. I, I, I love Ted, but I don't think he's a bulldozer. I think Trump is, and that's why I'm for Trump. However. I have Christian values. I'm hospitable. I wasn't going to be trying to trip up or gotcha all your 
Ted Cruz guests, Ruben. <laughs> you know, I, I, come on, we have to I, ask. And also, I wanted to tell everyone. I'm sorry. If you you, notice, uh, if I wanted you to. Mark, go, all right, I'll let you go. Go ahead, sir. Mark, if you notice, I started the program basically covering Manny's uh, uh, endorsing Ted Cruz in a very, very rough, not very friendly Miami-Dade Republican uh, party. Um, they yeah, and I got to tell you. Go all ahead. of them were supporting, all, all of them are supporting, because I know the Cubans down there and, and, and the Cuba, the politics down there, they were supporting Marco. Uh, they're, they're supporting, uh, because Marco is the homeboy, uh, the hometown boy. Yeah, he's and Cuban. Uh, Jeff and Jeff. Yeah, Ted is, is Cuban of uh, Cuban descent, but he's not really uh, Cuban. And he's not. Marco was raised and lived in, in Miami, so he's really more of a Cuban than than Ted. Um, yeah, but, I guess so. You know, so, from the so, Cuban perspective, right? From the Cuban. So basically, when this guy, when Manny Roman endorses Ted Cruz in Miami, that they're, they're flipping out. They're flipping out. And they're oh, saying, yeah, of course, because he's not towing the party line. Because I'll tell you something I want to mention to you and to our listeners about the Republican Party of Florida. One of the leaders, one of the people, the so-called racist Tea Party admires is Colonel Allen West, an African-American yeah. gentleman born in Atlanta. He was a Florida congressman. <laughs> The GOP, excuse me, the Florida GOP, which controls the legislature and the governorship, gerrymandered consciously, purposely, evilly, they gerrymandered Colonel West District to include many more Democrats, and he lost his seat on that election. So the Florida GOP assisted a Democrat candidate become the congressman over the Republican candidate. That concerned me and angered me a great deal because you know what? I see the same thing going on with the Republicans in D.C., which is another reason I support Trump, because I want him to come in like a damn bowling ball and knock <laughs> these corrupt pins where the hell they belong. And that's in the at the back of the alley, because uh, this Florida GOP to me is reprehensible. I mean, you had Alan West, war veteran, super patriot, an African-American to boot, and they they double-crossed their, their own Republican congressman. They actually assist a Democrat congressman take his seat. I mean, that's revolting. And see, it's, you know, I play poker, Ruben. And there's, when you're playing cards, there's something called a tell, T-E-L-L. -L. And what it is, when you're playing poker, you're watching your opponents, you see how they behave when they have a winning in their hand, how they'll behave when they're bluffing, how they're behaving when they're not so sure. And I'm talking when I say behaving, I mean their body language. It's something, maybe someone will be tapping every time he's bluffing. Something. It's called a tell. So what happened to Alan West to me was tell. And, and 
you know, I, I, I joke around. I call myself Dr. Mark, the political optometrist, helping you see clearly. The reason I do is because both it's not just Democrats ruining this country, radical left, Bolshevik, pro-Muslim, anti-American Democrats. These Republicans, uh, I, I just wonder, is, is it merely greed that's uh, in, incentivizing them? Is, is it purely just to line their pockets that they not only sell out the Republican base, but they, because the Republican base is angry, and just look at Donald Trump's numbers and tell me I'm wrong, they sell out an entire nation. This omnibus budget that Paul Ryan just allowed to be passed and our so-called conservative house voted for is reprehensible. And what I and here's what I've been going about the uh, Dr. Mark political optometrist. Back in 2008, I was telling all my Tea Party friends who overwhelmingly are Republican. I want to remind the audience I'm still a registered Democrat. I was telling all my Tea Party folks, don't put faith, too much faith in these Republicans because they will stab us in the back in a heartbeat. Sadly, I've proved to be prophetic. And but this is why I want Trump. I want the bowling ball. I want the bull in the china shop. I want the wrench in the works. You know, I could go on and on and on. And I don't think Ted, just Ted, this just isn't his time. I would love to see a President Trump and Senator Cruz majority leader. Oh, could you imagine the progress we could make in saving this country? And, Ruben, yeah. the, the reason I'm so adamant about this is, as I wrote this once on Facebook, and I tell this to people, look down at your feet, because you are standing on the mangled corpses of over a million people that died to preserve this ideal. And in honor of them, in honor of their sacrifice, we have to keep this ideal going. And the old jackass administration, this Valerie Jaller, Jarrett Turncoat, whatever the hell she is, this Hillary Clinton criminal, this Bernie Sanders communist, ain't going to do that. They're not going to preserve the ideal. And it's, do they care about the ideal? Do they not care about the ideal? I don't think they even give it a second thought. Their only thing is, I want power. I want money for me and my supporters. And, again, I use these two words in my book, Ruben, to describe both Democrats and Republicans in D.C. I have disdain and revulsion for these people. Yeah. Ruben, but let me, shut let me, up let and me. handing you the floor, baby. Yeah, okay. I have to tell you, first of all, congratulations on Trump's win on Saturday at, in South Thank Carolina. Thank you. I want to congratulate you. Um, we didn't get a chance to do that because we jumped right into both shows. Second, I've heard some from some friends across the country who have told me that 15 to 20% of Democrats in South Carolina voted for Donald Trump because what most people may not know is that these are open primaries, and people are saying open primaries. I thought 
basically 20% of the people voted for Donald Trump who were Democrats. Which basically, you know what, today, Ruben, I'm a today, today, I'm a today, today, open today. no, no, there's, there's a reason. There's a reason why I'm saying that. Because today, when Bernie and Hillary are competing to win the South Carolina primaries, there's going to be less Democrats voting today because they voted on Saturday. So that means Bernie <coughs> may have a chance of beating Hillary. A lot of but, you know, I think the whole, the whole Democrat Party, I mean, look at the turnout from what I understand in Iowa for Democrats was very low. These people on Bernie and Clinton on a whole are not generating excitement across the board. Bernie does with the young people because they've been indoctrinated, not educated. You know how much I constantly bang that drum of socialism and communism, the, the poverty, the misery, and the barbarity that follow communists slash socialists because students. The thing I want to point out, guess what? Socialism is not going to be the last stop on this train with this Democratic Party. That's the next to last stop. The next stop is overt communism. Now, you know, I've also used on the show the example of Venezuela. You know what I saw Venezuela did this week? Those fine socialists that elected Chavez who are now under the boot of outright communism. You know what they just did? They just outlawed cable TV in Venezuela. <laughs> People no longer have cable TV. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so this is, again, the breathing, live example of a society, for some reason, turning from capitalism, which provides social mobility. Socialism doesn't do that. And the thing I want to impress on the students is social mobility is the best we, the, the commoners, the lower and middle class, is our best hope is social mobility. You're not going to have that under a socialist communist regime. It doesn't it exist. And the only way it does exist is if you become a party hack. And if you want to do that and, you know, live in opulence, fine. If you want to betray your nation, wherever that is, betray your fellow man, go, you know, that that's your choice. And uh, right. one day I'll have to break your head if I happen to get in the same room with you. But social mobility is what we need. Social mobility didn't exist until capitalism entered the economic stream. Right. And also, the, the next point I want to make, Ruben, because I always love talking to the students, we talk about, you hear Bernie and Clinton and the Democrats constantly banging the drum, distribution of wealth, distribution of wealth. Well, guess what, Sherlock? Where the hell do you think that wealth came from in the first place? It came from a capitalist society. Now, I am not advocating 
letting capitalists and corporate barons run roughshod all over. Of course they have to be monitored because just like everyone else in the world, these corporate barons, we've got some serious greedy people there. But we've got the same thing in government. We've got the same thing on the corner store. I'm sure people have landlords or friends they see like this. Well, yeah. they yeah. exist in the corporate world too, but they are not indicative of the entire Mark, corporate Mark, world. So you Mark, want to distribute Mark, wealth, but it's capitalist wealth. Go ahead, Ruben. Mark, the question I have for you, the question I have for you, do you find it, are you surprised, or, or are you not surprised, that 50 to 20% of the people in South Carolina that are registered Democrats for Donald Trump? No, I'm, I'm not surprised, because... There is, there, there is a true groundswell going on. Now, back in 2008, it was the Tea Party. Right. This groundswell is wider, broader, deeper, includes many races, many economic classes, many varying degrees of education. This is a true movement, which is why I get upset with the Trump bashers. I also get upset with the Cruz bashers, by the way, because if Donald doesn't win, I want Ted to win. And these two camps have to stop going after each other. They, they right. really do. And I really bang that drum on Facebook. And now I'm getting quite nasty at Facebook, including including hurling vulgarities because I'm just sick and tired of the damn ignorance. Because the question is, folks, do we want to win? Do we want to block the Bolshevik pro-Muslim? Uh, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with Muslims, but these people are pro-Muslims because they've sold out. The Arab oil money has saturated the American political process. And I, the, the I, big boy. I, I, Go ahead. I think. I think Mark. Mark. I think. I think the the individuals that are supporting Trump and individuals that are supporting Cruz have to stop. But I think the the, the individuals that are running for office have to stop. Trump has to stop. Cruz has to stop. They have to stop basically attacking each other. Um, I understand it's a it's politics, and in a political fight, you're going to attack each other, but. When when there's an accusation of lies, he's a liar. He's a liar, or he's a, or he, you know, he's a fraud. Those are, those are just helping the Democrats. The actual Democrats are Hillary. Exactly. You know, Ruben, sure. Ruben, we have a caller. So they, I'd love to hear what this caller has to say. Okay, I'm gonna right, let this person right. on the air. I don't know who they are. Hello, caller at the 404 area code. You are on the air. Well, indeed, Hello, are you uh, there? I, yeah, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, I was just checking the show out, man. I come from a totally different background than you gentlemen, so I don't I don't know how productive a conversation would be. Well, wait a second, wait a second. What kind of background are you from? Because I come out of the slums of New York City. How about you? Where do you come out of? Uh, I'm talking about idea-wise. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I missed that boat. <laughs> okay, so where, where, where are you coming from? What do you want to share with the audience? Well, 
there's really nothing to share with the audience. I'm guessing the audience is probably uh, closer to your convictions, so I'm not here to change anybody's mind. I'm just listening to the other side. I right. feel like you always need to check in with what the other side is saying, even if you don't agree, just to give it a – Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, sir, because if you listen to us, you know my philosophy is let's air it out. Because you know what? Because to be a radical leftist Democrat means you have to distort the truth, you have to master the art of deceit, and you have to lie. Where I'm coming from, and over 100 million Americans are coming from, is, no, let's, let's, you know, what's the old saying? Tell it like it is. And we don't have that coming out of the other camp. Uh, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with telling it like it is. And firstly, you would start with, they all lie. There is no one side that lies. Uh, right. their, their reputations are built on lies, mistruth, and misquotes. So, I mean, the, the soundbite game that we're playing right now as far as watching this political process is something that we should be ashamed of. But since we're playing Team Red, Team Blue, Team A, Team B, uh, we seem to get caught up in it and say our lives are better than yours or your lives are more obvious than ours, so therefore you're wrong. So I don't get caught up in that. I haven't voted for either of those two parties in a long time, and I'm not that old. But Let me ask you something, sir. Uh, it, what do you see as the biggest issue that you see in regards to our country, the direction that, that, that the country is going the uh, the level of of insecurity. What 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 do you what's your biggest what's the biggest issue that you find to be the most troublesome? Uh, the biggest issues going, I, I would say, are uh, the fact that we decided we were going to put manufacturing and production in other places in order for mm-hmm. corporations to make more money. So now right. we don't have enough jobs, and we've tried to cover that up in as many ways as we can. But the right. honest reality of it is. Uh, we can't employ our populace anymore, and we're trying to come up with different measuring sticks to describe why. So, uh, well, you should have got education. Well, most of our grandfathers weren't educated but were willing to work hard and had enough to raise a family. Where are those jobs? Like, that's what happened. Touche, touche, buddy. Without them. Yeah, so and, and, that, that's so the you, biggest issue to me. Do, do, you find, do you find that the government has failed the people? See, I, I can't I can't state it that plainly and that singularly. I have to say, big government and big corporations in collusion have failed the right. people. I don't leave anybody so, off the off the track. So why do why do we see? Let me ask you: Why do we see all these young people that want bigger government, especially the people who are following Bernie? You know, they want they want everything to be given to them. You know, because nothing is for free. If they want something, that means it has to come out of your paycheck. It has to come out of my paycheck. It has to come out. You know, it doesn't. Money doesn't just grow by itself. Why yeah, but I, I think we're I think we're placing our ideas on people when we say they want it for free or they want it this way. I think those people just want justice. And anybody who sounds like they're going to go after the big banks and go after, you know, the people who kind of change uh, what the society is then people are willing to get behind them, even if they don't 100% believe that guy. Uh, we got two sides who don't believe in a major party. 
uh, the Republican side formally. Now you got people going for Trump because they said, look, this is like an outsider. He looks like he's telling the truth. We'll roll with him. On the left, you got people saying, we don't want Hillary. We'll go with Bernie Sanders, even though he's saying some things we know he can't possibly pull off without taking that trip to Dallas, if you know what I mean. <laughs> very good analysis. Very yeah, good. this guy right. is terrific. Thank you very much for calling, sir. I'm loving this call. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Call us back again. I mean, uh, and hope, hopefully you're enjoying our show. Well, yeah, and also, sir. And, and... Oh, go ahead. No, I wanted to no, say maybe you didn't hear me. I, I mean, of course, I'm always bashing radical leftist Bolsheviks or Democrats, but maybe you don't hear me. I'm also giving a swift boot in the fanny to the dank sellout GOP who's looking more to line their pockets and maintain what little crumbs of power they can and sell out the entire Republican base and nation at the same time. Now, also, no, sir, I am a registered Democrat, um, so and I remain a registered Democrat all through my Tea Party era, uh, and... I don't know if you heard my two favorite words to describe both of them in D.C. are disdain and revulsion at what goes on there. And that's why now I'm a a real fan of Donald Trump. I want him to come in there. You know, like that Miley Cyrus song, whoever the hell it was, Wrecking Ball. You go in there and you shake it up until it doesn't look Anything like it looks now. Now, will he accomplish that much? I don't know, but I know he will accomplish something. I know he will put Americans first, all of us. You know, because even on the white hand, like, like, well, whites this or whites that and whites this. No, I don't give a hoot about that. And most Americans don't. It's only, I feel, narrow fringes on the on the, the sides. We want all let's, Americans to do well. Yeah, let, I want to see let's, all black children in the city go to school and first and foremost feel safe. Because how the hell are you going to learn if you can't feel safe in your school? And I know what that's like. I've been in New York City schools. I've been in some schools where between classes, you're almost taking your life into your hand, going from like the first to the third floor, and you've got to use the narrow staircases and blah, blah, blah. So that's the first thing. And this, the Democrats block that. It's Democrats that block that. They block school choice. They block charters. They block vouchers. So we want to see the the whole country. You know, with the saying, uh, uh, the rising water will lift all boats. White, black, Latino, Asian, don't matter. And, and you know the sin? the, The students now didn't live through the Reagan era. First, the first thing they never saw is, don't forget, Reagan's second run, he won 49 out of 50 state students. What does that tell you? 49 of 50. And the economy was booming, and I lived through it. I saw it. I mean, before Reagan, when I worked in Midtown, the amount of people just milling around 
obviously unemployed, nothing to do. I don't know what they were doing there. This is around Madison Square Garden and Macy's on 34th and 7th Avenue, have, 8th Avenue, 6th yeah. Avenue. Mark, Mark, and Mark. after Reagan was in, you didn't see that because everyone was working. Go ahead, Ruben. Mark, we have one minute and uh, one minute well, to go. Can I comment uh, before, yeah. before you go to look up the voter participation during those Reagan years and don't look at one side during those Reagan years. Also look at the other side of the population. Uh, wasn't yeah. good for everybody. And also look at the credit Okay, all right, thank you. I wanted to say we are students for a better future, led by Your Highness Doreen Finko. Okay. All right, good night. All right, gents, yeah, we're off the air. All right, listen, call her. Hey, right on, call her yeah, Tuesday, man. I, I was grooving on that. Okay, no problem, man. I'll call you guys again. Okay, all right, thank you. Have a great week. Uh, week. All right, he's gone, Ruben. I think I cut him off prematurely. I'm sorry. Listen, I hope I was somewhat gracious to your Ted Cruz orgy, yeah? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Are you there? I, 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 yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Um, okay. Yeah, I was somewhat gracious. You know, I had to bite my tongue because, obviously, I'm leaning towards Trump. But, uh, you know, we want to air it out. So it's not it's not what what I normally do and 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 when I have to show uh myself, basically you let the other individual speak their mind and, and uh everyone's entitled to uh their opinion. I mean what 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 we'll do next week when we have Roger Stone, you know, Roger is still a, a Trump supporter. Um I have questions for him. Um so uh just like yeah, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to this because he is a big personality. I'm going to be advertising the crap out of this. He's on this next Tuesday. He's our guest. Yes, next Tuesday. Okay, I'm going to advertise the crap out of this because he oh, yeah. is a he he is a major leaguer, Roger Stone. Oh yeah, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, every okay, every okay, every. I, 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 every yeah, I'm sorry. I have to run. I have to go to the bathroom. That's all. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>